Hello and welcome to Bad Songwriter Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holmquist. We're here today with Evan Opitz. How's it going? I'm doing okay. How are you? Doing all right. You know, it's winter time, but things are melting. It's sunnier out this week in Chicago, and I'm really enjoying that. I'm such a sun sunshine person, so enjoying our fake spring number one. <laughs> it's nice to have a little bit of uh, extra vitamin D. I see you're drinking a LaCroix. I am also okay. drinking a LaCroix. What, what flavor LaCroix is that? I'm drinking coconut, which I know is a divisive flavor. I understand that some people think it tastes like sunscreen, but I really like that. <laughs> How about you? Uh, this one is pineapple strawberry. Mm, I was trying to get fancy. a little bit fancy on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my favorite flavor, though, is key lime. That's also a flavor that I feel like not everybody is super hip to. Um, you know, I'm just not big on lime flavors generally, like in candy and stuff like that. So I don't gravitate toward it, but I can respect that choice. Um, but we are here to talk about bad songs and you've brought some for us to listen to. I'm excited to hear them. But first I want to hear about when did you first start writing songs? Well, I started writing pretty early on. I didn't even have a drum set. I didn't have a guitar. I actually... I remember specifically going on a trip with my family to visit my grandparents uh, and they live in Florida when I was in like fourth grade. I picked up a pair of chopsticks and started just like hitting things with them and I thought it sounded cool. The the chopsticks were like, they weren't wooden chopsticks, they were like plastic, you know, like Mm -hmm. whatever that plastic chopsticks and they had a good sound and I, I liked the sound when I would like hit them on tables and like chairs and things like that and but uh so that was like me thinking oh i know how to write songs i know how to like run around and like hit things and make up words and that's music right Mm -hmm. (laughs) i took piano lessons in like second and third grade but i don't really remember them uh wasn't until fifth grade where i really started to actually play guitar and that's my main instrument is guitar Um, and did you have the opportunity to like play shows when you were younger, play at like maybe a talent show or a coffee shop, things like that? I, every chance I could, I would audition for the talent show every year. And sometimes I wouldn't even get in. And, uh, but I was also in the school band, uh, in the percussion department. So I did like snare drum. We did sample pad practice every week. We would run rudiments and stuff like that. And um, I would have to go to contests and learn marching snare parts. I, you know, play the bass drum (laughs) with a big mallet. Mm -hmm. I had to make a decision sophomore year of high school. My my band director kind of came up to me and was like, well, you could focus on one or the other. You know, like you can do both, Mm -hmm. obviously, but one is going to be your main instrument. So what do you want it to be? And then I was like, okay, well, I could focus on drums. I, I didn't know like the terminology at the time, but I really loved melody and I loved harmony. So that was like the thing that I wanted to kind of, it's easier to write songs with the guitar versus just playing drums, you know? For sure. And a little more portable too. I mean, that's, that's also like a factor when you're thinking about, like I started on piano and that was my, my instrument other than like a brief stint with clarinet until I got to college. And then once I was at college, I was like, oh, like a piano isn't portable. A cheap keyboard does not sound like a piano. <laughs> And so I need to learn another instrument. So that's when I taught myself guitar because I was like, well, I need 
something to carry around with me because I am poor (laughs) (laughs) and I don't have a piano and I'm not going to move one from apartment to apartment. Yeah. And the thing too, with guitars, like especially acoustic guitars, you can get yourself like a shitty 200 or $300 guitar and it can still kind of get you through. But if you have like a a little Casio or like, I mean, some Casios are kind of cool, but like one of those really old Yamaha keyboards with like the, the demo track, everyone loves the demo track. It's really hard to make anything sound good on those. <laughs> yeah, it really just is like not the same. But yeah, you can you can make things sound okay on a on a shitty guitar. All right, well, let's get into it. Let's listen to some of these tracks. Do you want to talk about the first one that we're going to listen to before we give it a listen? Yeah, so this first song is called Crescent and the band was Solar Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> quite quite the name. Um, so a little bit of background on this song. I went to grade school with the bassist of Knuckle Puck. Uh, his name's Ryan Rumchucks. He also has a band called Home Safe. It was pretty much our first time playing and collaborating in our lives, like just like at all with anybody. And so we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, at the time, Ryan pretty much just played drums um, and I just played a shitty Washburn, like, it was like a $90 guitar, um, all black, and, uh, and I had like a, it was like a little custom amplifier, like, really small, just terrible starting amplifier. I, I tried my best to get some good tones out of it, but it had like a distortion button. It was like, all right, oh, distortion time. But him and I were really into, like, punk 90s AFI, I guess, isn't most, mm-hmm. most of it's late 90s AFI. We were also really into like Silverstein and like all those like emo bands. <laughs> uh, so the music is really rough. We had one little microphone that we set up in the middle of the room. It's funny, I actually, so I have, I'm in Nashville currently. So um, my mom actually had to send me these home recordings that I, <laughs> that we made uh, in Acoustica, which is like the, the fr- it was a free software. We took the artwork really seriously, or at least I took the artwork really seriously. And um, I got them right here, actually. Uh, you can't, obviously, the listeners can't see this, but here, this is the album cover. That's edgy. Yeah, it's like a, a photoshopped bomb in the middle of like this like weird melting chrome <laughs> thing. The album is called Into Combat They Went. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and I uh, so we, we would write the song names before we would write the songs themselves. Right. That's the, that's the process. So I put the CD into my computer and it just spit it out. It, it made a really terrible noise and I was trying to rip the songs so I can play them on the show. Um, so that wasn't working. So I had to go out to the car and it worked in the car because that's the only CD player that is available because they don't make CD players anymore. So I listened to it out in the car and I had to record it on a voice memo. And the voice memo isn't much better than the original recording, but uh, that's the little background on this. Yeah. 
I've never had I never had vocal lessons before this. I was trying, I was really going for it, you know? <laughs> so yeah, this was sixth grade. I never yeah. had any songwriting lessons. All I knew was like the music that I listened to and what I what I liked. And that's kinda all I that's kinda all we did was just like do what we wanted to do and we like oh this part the words here are i now understand human life very deep yeah we had it all figured out you know sixth grade <laughs> maybe you did maybe you had it all figured out then but you lost it you know now you don't have it anymore and you just have to get back to that sixth grade state of mind i think that's that's usually what it is you got to go back to the basics that's you know um that's how you make progress it's like the slingshot effect uh-huh oh we added a lot of effects here at the end there's a uh, some echo on the drums of course Whammy bar. There's some whammy bar in there. Yeah. Yeah. So you wrote so you wrote all of the song titles before you wrote the songs? Yeah, we, we would sit down and we're like, alright, we're gonna how many songs do we wanna do? And then it's like, okay, well ten sounds like a good amount of songs. That's like an even even amount of songs for an album, you know. Right. Uh, and then we're like, well, what are the songs going to be called? And, uh, you know, I don't think I have... Oh, here's the track list. The first track is called Suicide, and it was an intro. Wow. <laughs> you know, starting starting off strong. Yeah. You know, I also forgot to mention on the CD label uh, is, like, this weird robot guy with this, like, oh, yeah. crazy machine gun. There's, like, three guns on this on the CD label. I don't know what was going on in my mind. <laughs> the other one is like a it's like a nuclear pizza on the other CD. Oh, that wow. We did two we did two CDs and then there was a third one that we like never finished. <laughs> I don't remember what it was called, but it was going to be like the like groundbreaking album. <laughs> How long were you like collaborating or a band? You know, I, time is always a weird thing when I look back on those years. Really, mm -hmm. anything before high school, I don't have much of a frame of reference. I really didn't know what I was doing at all with anything. Uh, you know, like I had no idea, like no reference level on anything. So for it felt like a long time, but I think it was just when I was in sixth grade and he was a year younger than me, so he was in fifth. Maybe it was just like a summer thing. I, it feels like it was more than that because it probably took a while to write two albums worth of songs and <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is a lot of material but i guess like in the summertime as a kid you have a lot more time also so yeah one day feels like three days when you're a kid <laughs> that was the first like real collaborative project 
I asked, I just messaged Ryan a, couple, a week ago, um, just being like, hey, I'm going to play this song on this podcast. It was just really cool because we were both like, that was a very formative experience for us. Like, it's really special that we even had that experience at all. Like, you know, it really, it really kind of paved the way for, for our, our futures. And like, we knew like we wanted to make music, but we just had no idea how to do it at all, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's an exciting time to be able to start like collaborating with people because you learn so much from that to find somebody else who like wants to create sort of the same thing you want to create, even if you both don't know what you're doing, can be like really fun. I'm trying to, I'm calling him out here. He's not going to listen to this, but it's fine. I'm trying to get my old friend, Russell, who I went to high school with on the podcast. Um, he's in a band, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades now. He's like a really fantastic band, banjo player. But we had like uh, worked on music together. I think we did like bad covers like we definitely covered like the fray how to save a life oh, in a coffee shop nice like, stuff like that he used to bring a sitar to school and sit in the hallways and play it you know i i had a friend from high school that did that too yeah you always have like one like sitar kid i think there's always one of those you know you got you got to have a sitar kid because then you exactly. wouldn't you wouldn't know about a sitar like how to it's so cool it's such an awesome instrument but it's really, it really hard is. to play Oh, yeah. Impossible. But anyway, trying to get him on the podcast because like it was that was like an important thing for me, too. I mean, he was the first he had like some old like I think four track recorder just in his bedroom and he recorded my song, like some of my very early songs that I wrote. And that was the first time anybody had ever recorded anything, you know. And so like being able to have that experience with other people really gets you on the path of like learning how to like do it a little more for real <laughs> yeah i mean like if you were just doing it by yourself you would have you wouldn't have that that like push you know you you wouldn't have that extra right that reinforcement i wouldn't i wouldn't say accountability because it, it's what it's whatever you know making music is is your own journey but like it's nice to have uh someone there to kind of share the experience with especially early on it's so important all right, well, what's the next song you have for us to listen to? It's called While You're Away, Part 10. Pressure is the name of the song. And Part 10? <laughs> part 10, yeah. So this, this kind of moves forward into my high school years. Uh, this was 2010. So we, mm -hmm. we went from 2006 to 2010. Uh, I, this, this is when I started writing in trying to play everything on my own and I was kind of messing with program drums. I spent a week, I, I, I decided to give myself a project that the person I was dating at the time was out of town for a week and that entire week I recorded a bunch of songs every day. I wanted to record like one little song. I, I, I was trying to piece together this thing that was like a, a 12 part, like very short album. So like 12 mm -hmm. songs that kind of like go into each other and each song was supposed to be a half step up key wise from the song before it so if it wasn't if it was uh, a major key like sometimes i wanted to i didn't keep everything in a major key sometimes i would do like the relative minor key of the the half right. half step up so each song would like go up one half step until it would get to the end and you know i ideally you would play the album on repeat and then it would get back to the first key again, you know, and I had motifs like little musical phrases that kind of would come up throughout the whole thing, trying to keep it cohesive and trying to expand on like one concept. So 
This is a really short song, but there's a lot of drama. So right off the bat, just messing around with the GarageBand synths, mm -hmm. messing with the octave switcher. I had no idea how to program drums. I didn't like know how to think like a real drummer. <laughs> I just imagine the drummer of the, like if this per, if this band were to play live, the drummer's just like bashing the crash cymbal the yeah. whole time. The double double bass program, double bass in there. And here's the here's the melody that comes up throughout the whole thing. Some really excessive double bass. <laughs> And I was like, I'm gonna keep this, you know, I'm gonna keep that yeah. in in the track. There were a lot of things that you just kind of overlooked early on, you know, when you don't have a frame of reference for how to record music or how to use a microphone or right. how to tune your guitar, you know, it's all it's all relative. Did you release that album? So yeah, I, I, that album was on Bandcamp. That was, at the time, an official Phantom Broadcast album. <laughs> I got the name in 2010, and it's been the band name ever since. So it's 2021, and um, we thought about changing the name a few times, but there's a lot of a lot of little reasons why we decided to just keep it the way it was. It's a it's a good enough name. People have worse names. It's hard to totally change your name and sort of restart. Like even if you're the same band, like communicating that your name has changed but you're the same band still can be like a tricky tricky proposition that's definitely one of the reasons why we decided to keep it the same it's just like we made a lot of progress and it's progress that isn't like the name change isn't necessary to like re totally rebrand and like and start a totally new project so i've never really had a chance to talk about the phantom broadcast like like this before uh it's really cool to have an opportunity to kind of talk about like the, the actual growth of the band. So like like I said, I, I started the project in 2010 and I made like four, four CDs in high school with that name. And I really, I really took it seriously. I took that song seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I knew it wasn't like on par with anything else that was professional at all, but I was like, this is the best thing that I could offer right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. It wasn't until 2013 where the band actually became a real band. Um, that was because I moved to Champaign to go to school at U of I. Um, that's actually where I met Joey Mieland, who introduced us. And a lot of a lot of the bands that I play with now, Emily Blue, uh, Terra Terra, 
Rebecca Rigo and the Train Men. I met all those people from U of I. The Phantom Broadcast had an opportunity to record two live songs at our dorm. The dorm that we lived in, and actually, that's actually how I met Joey Meland. We lived in the same dorm, and there was a, a, a flyer up on the wall that was saying, hey, we'll record two songs if you, if you have like songs that you want to play. And then I was like, well, I got these two songs from high school that I wrote that might be cool with a band. You know, I have no idea how it's going to translate because I've never played them with a group of people before. We ended up recording a live tracking of Sleepwalkers, which is one of the songs from our first record, the first official album from 2013, Orphic Hymns, which is actually this, this next song, The Wax Fox, is from that album. There's a lot of things in that record that I look back on that I'm like, maybe we could have done things differently. Um, it was my first time in a real studio. I had three days booked, and I, I guess I, I got the band together and we recorded eight songs in three days. And it was my first time, and I, I had a notebook with like bullet points like, this is probably the amount of time it's gonna take to do this thing. So like everything is kind of scheduled in an itinerary and you were kind of crossing that stuff off. You know, it's, it's expensive going to the studio, especially if you don't know what you're doing. And uh, so I definitely wanted to make sure everything turned out as best it could. This next song is, is one that I wrote when I first moved to college. And I was still really in this like emo world. <laughs> uh, a lot of the early stuff is all like super melodramatic. I was just, I, I thought I, like I said in the, in the first song, I thought I knew, I thought I knew the meaning of life. And uh, <laughs> looking back, I'm just like, wow, is that what you think? Okay. <laughs> That's like the arrogance of youth, right? I definitely thought I knew the meaning of life in college, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. You think you have things figured out. That's probably the furthest away from having them figured out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's give this one a listen then. All right. There's a lot of th a lot of redeeming qualities to this song. Um, mm -hmm. It is a bit excessive. Uh, I had like these these really big ideas for time signature changes, and I was really obsessed with this like song form where it's like verse chorus, verse chorus, and the bridge is like its own song within the song. <laughs> yeah. Just a lot going on. It's pretty cluttered. Yeah, a lot is happening. Joey Meland actually played keys on this. That's on your mind. Sometimes you need to let it go. To start another show, it's on the back burner. So a lot of things, especially like vocal things too. Like I, this is my first time going to a real studio, so I didn't really know how microphone, like I, I didn't know how mics worked, you know, I didn't know, right. I didn't know like the, the proper ways to, to sing things, you know, it's like, oh, there's a better way to sing that, like, what's the right way to sing that, you know, I didn't even think about any of that stuff, I was too obsessed with the, the music part of it, that like right. the actual songwriting part kind of like falls to the side. <laughs> Oh, 
I love this melody, that the like counter melody behind the vocal. But like I said, there's just like there's like three independent things happening, and then the drums are like yeah. really going in. And I'm not bashing anyone's performance on this because I think that everyone did such a such a good job, especially considering we only had three days at the studio. Yeah. So this is the segue into like the quote-unquote bridge section, which is like its own, it's like a song within a song almost. Uh-huh. Well, I guess there's no hiding anymore. You see the child in I think the main thing about this song that's a bummer is I wish that I just had more perspective at the time to write better lyrics. I don't know, like, <laughs> there's just way more to life than, you know, feeling hurt about a relationship, you know, and it's been written so many times. Yeah, but like, part of the, you know, it's, that's like teenage, young adult feelings, you know? You have to write those songs in order to get to like, the better ones. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a reason it's a trope, right? Right, yeah. I think that was one of the things that I, I wanted to kind of move away from after I graduated from college. I kind of moved away from this, this, uh, like, I don't know. I, I don't like, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily narcissistic, but it's just like the whole idea that like everything happens to me, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's not it's not that relatable when you when you put it into like into the ether, you know. Mm -hmm. At the time you're like, "Oh my god, this is like so personal to me and like uh it it like it's so um I don't know, it's just like such a powerful feeling, but then you're like, "Wow, um, I, I was looking at that experience all wrong, you know? Right. So this is actually a guest feature here. This is Matt Powe. And Matt actually is the singer of a band called City Mouth. And Matt and I are, we play in a band now called City Mouth. Um, but the band didn't exist at the time we recorded this and uh, it wasn't until like five years later I actually joined that band. And then this is a lyric that I brought back from from high school. Uh, this constant silence that we once shared is broken by the silence that we once feared. Um, I kept, for a while, I kept like pulling from songs from my past uh -huh. and kind of like rehashing lyrics. Like, this is still a good idea. I could probably like put this into something. Once again, like as far as songwriting goes, that's not really, that's not how I would do it now. Like I wouldn't, Yeah. I wouldn't just like, oh, this is a good enough lyric. Let me just throw this into the song because it needs something. Right. This part was really hard to play live. <laughs> it sounds like it. 
You got like 15 polyrhythms going on at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just it's just funny looking back on that, um, and you know, thinking it's funny like thinking at the time, like oh, I'm sitting on some like really good stuff, you know, and like like I said, there's there's a lot of redeeming qualities to that song, and mm -hmm. overall that album has some pretty nice moments. That's probably the moment that I look back on the most since people have actually been listening to to this song more recently, and I look back on this because. The band isn't the same at all, except for me and right. the bass player. The band went through like four lineup changes, and it didn't actually solidify into a real band until end of 2016, 2017 is about when the band was consistent. The members are now the same from album to album. Uh -huh. It's very collaborative, and that was kind of a, a huge process for me um, moving forward was opening up the creative process to other people, sharing that, you know, kind of sharing that vulnerability with someone else. And that was one of the best things that I could have ever discovered as a songwriter. You know, you don't always have to carry the burden of the song on your shoulders 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's better for the song and it kind of lets the song breathe to kind of be like, I don't know what I'm going to do here what should we do? And like, talk to the people that you trust and be like, oh, well, what if we did this? You know? Yeah. I feel like such fun, exciting stuff can come out of that. Not only in like having people like write their own parts or like bring their own ideas to like recording an album, but like the sort of playfulness that happens when you're like doing band practice and you're like, what if we like did this song, but we did it in like a different like tempo or a different rhythm or like you know someone saying hey like I think this song is way better if we like play it faster like what if we do this dumb thing and you all laugh but you're like wait but what if we really did that dumb thing like, <laughs> that joke that we came up with what if we actually did that joke like that's great because like that's the kind of like you know not taking yourself too seriously play that I think re really like leads to fun things or like even just trying something different even if it doesn't work out it's like okay well we tried that we didn't say the song has to be this way we tried it a different way it sounded pretty stupid so we <laughs> didn't do it like that you know but it could have sounded cool yeah that's totally it um just kind of I, I guess the best way to put it is like keeping it light you know like and kind of cultivating a positive musical space you know yeah. is is so important to making a good song, in my opinion. You know, if, if you, the moment you start to like really go down the rabbit hole when you're writing is that's the moment when you start to overthink things and you start to throw things in that don't need to be there. And that, that that's for me, that's how, how I got the Wax Fox. It's like, I wrote that whole, I was like, I need to write this really epic song that <laughs> like is gonna be my statement, you know, this is gonna be my big album and like, I still have like 200 of those CDs sitting in my closet, you yeah. know? So it's just, it's funny looking back and thinking like, wow, this is, I was really onto something. Why didn't it work? You know, like what? And I, I wouldn't have been able to answer that question without the current state of the band. Like mm -hmm. the things that we're writing now are, are really special to me and, and the whole, the whole group. Um, I stopped caring about the, you know, the actual lyric writing process and, um, Dave Hollis, our other guitar player, they spent a lot of time writing lyrics as well for our songs. So 
it was kind of scary at first to open up and be like, all right, we're going to bring in a new lyricist and we're going to share right. lyric writing and the, the composition of the songs, like the writing process for those. And actually, the new song, uh, The Vizier, which we just dropped a couple weeks ago, it was spearheaded by Dave. And Dave actually wrote the lyrics. We worked together for about a year to really write it and bring it to life. And uh, I'm really happy with, with the growth of the band. It wouldn't be what it is without all those, all those other steps that we had to take to get to where we are now. So, Totally. I mean, one of the things I miss most this past year with the pandemic is being able to practice with my band you know because we're like a five or six piece and it just like is not a thing we've been able to do and like obviously I miss shows and want them to come back but like even more than that I just want to like play with my band yeah. I want <laughs> you, know? you to play with your band too your band is amazing by the way I, oh, I love your music you. it's really awesome thank you so much I appreciate that um, but you know I've it's like I've been writing music at home and I've been able to do a little collaboration with Caitlin Cohen who plays cello and sings in the band but like like that's about it I'm like I just want to have a band practice <laughs> I just want to you know get together in a practice space and like bullshit for a few hours drink and, like, some high life and <laughs> yeah ex- exactly and listen to some uh well, the, the place that we, we practiced at Treehouse Records, or we did practice at Treehouse Records, uh-huh. and uh, every time we would go and practice, there would be like this grunge metal cover band that would practice for like four hours straight. Oh my gosh. And just blasting right next to us. But you know what? I'd take it for where yeah, we're at right absolutely. now. I would take, I would literally take that. <laughs> yeah, same. I've definitely been in those sorts of practice situations. Love it. That sounds great to me. I would do anything. I could listen to Black Hole Sun like 10 more times, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was saying, I don't remember who I was saying it to, but I was like, I'm thinking about the worst shows I've ever played, like the most terrible shows. I would go back to those right now. Like if somebody was like, you can go to a show, you can go play a show, but it's going to be the worst one you've ever done. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> Take me there. I'll go back to the Live Wire Lounge. Oh, uh... I'm trying to think what was what was the worst show that we played. Oh, it was um, Firehouse Pizza in Bloomington. That was also before the band was really like a band band. That was actually mm-hmm. that was just after the first that Orphic Hymns came out, the first Phantom Broadcast album. I like broke a string during the set, mm-hmm. and I had to tune down to uh, D standard for like one of those songs, and that's when I broke the string. And then it was just like incredibly out of tune. I was super yeah. nervous, and I anybody who knows me, I get like really, really sweaty when I perform. <laughs> like I always forget to bring a towel with me, and I like by the end of the set, I'm just like completely soaked, and I hate it. Yeah. It's so stupid, but it is what it is. And you know what? I would take it right now. <laughs> literally, like you said, I would literally take that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what's what's some stuff you've been listening to lately that you like? Well, I I really like this band Ockerville River mm-hmm. um, I actually just took a songwriters workshop with Will Chef through Old Town School of Folk Music and uh, that was a really cool experience um, I think he's an amazing songwriter and his lyrics are just it's every song is like a story every single song mm-hmm. is like a story you know and it's a well written story and um, there's so many like subtle things well, I also t- just yesterday took a master class from Jeff Parker from Tortoise. I've been listening to a oh, lot cool. of Tortoise lately. 
and a lot of Between the Buried and Me also, which is like a progressive metal band. <laughs> that's like my that's my that's my guilty pleasure band. I, I still think that they're really cool. Alaska is always going to be one of my favorite albums. <laughs> I love Blake Mills. Blake Mills is another. I think that new the new songs that he's put out with Pino Palladino are really awesome. And uh, the album that he put out last year, Mutable Set, that album kind of got me through the year. <laughs> and uh, it's there's just it's flawless. It's a flawless record. It's so cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Good, I'm glad. And thank you everyone for listening. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. I've linked to the Phantom Broadcast's music in the episode description. You can find us on Instagram at Bad Songwriter and on Twitter at Bad underscore Songwriter. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could rate, review, subscribe, follow... Tell a friend about it, post about us on social media, all this really helps us out. If you're a songwriter who would like to be on the show, you can email me at badsongwriterpod at gmail.com. Have a good week. Bye. Speak not.